Welcome to the Our Safe Harbor Church podcast. Here you can listen to our Sunday sermon, Monday morning message, and midweek Bible study. We hope you will consider subscribing, sharing, leaving a review, but please be sure to check out our website at www.OurSafeHarbor.com to learn more about us and find ways to get involved. Our Safe Harbor Church, we are with you wherever you are. It's time for part three in our How to Make Ethical and Moral Decisions. And this should be the last in this series, but I hope it's been interesting and helpful to you. Let me know. You send in an email at patrick at rsafeharbor.com or make a comment on my Facebook page or the Our Safe Harbor uh, Facebook page. Now, we ended kind of on this note. Would Christ be comfortable doing what you're thinking about doing? We talked last time, would you be care- comfortable arguing this case for this and in front of Jesus? Well, now we're asking, would Jesus be comfortable joining it, going right along with this? Now, we don't always mind uh, know the mind of God. I mean, there's no question there. And there are times we're going to get this answer wrong, but it's still a good question to ask because it does make us stop and think. And the stopping and thinking is really important. One of the big books of several years ago was, was called Blink. And the, the thing was to make a decision as fast as you blink. And a host of other books that didn't get quite as much press but came out saying no. According to everything we know in psychology, neuroscience and the like, that's a bad idea. Instead of blink, think. You should take some time and put some effort into this process before you make a decision. One of them is, for me, would Christ ride along and do it with me? It's a good question. Would he make the same decision if he was here right now? So instead of just joining in my decision, would he actually lead me in this decision? And you can get demented people that says that God told them to burn this house down or whatever, but we're not talking demented people here. We're talking about you and I asking, would Christ take the lead in doing what I'm about to do, this hostile takeover of this shop and fire half the employees? Would Christ take part of that? This uh, foreclosing on these people, would Christ take part of that? Would that be his decision? You know, committing adultery here, stealing there, not paying for what I've, a service I've received, whatever it is, would he do the same thing? If not, then that's a really big clue that you shouldn't be doing it either. Will doing what you're doing, what you're thinking about doing advance Jesus' will or will it retard it? Will it pull it back and hinder it? By the way, there are a whole lot of decisions you make that will have zero effect on God's will either way. And here people would start yelling, God, will, everything God wants he gets. Well, obviously with the sin in the world, God doesn't always get his will done. He will eventually, sure, but um, let's, let's play nice now and be aware that we can do things to make it harder for God to reach others. You can be a bad Christian. You can be a judgmental Christian, a hateful Christian, a Christian that fights on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. You can be one of those if you want to, but that will not advance the kingdom of God. I know you think you are, but you're not. But then there are other decisions that truly have zero effect. Uh, whether I record this a month ahead or two months ahead, which this is two months ahead, that doesn't really matter that much. Whether I wore a blue sweater 
or a purple sweater like I did a couple of weeks ago, that's not gonna, who cares? Whether I have this background or whether I do it out at a park, it doesn't matter. So a lot of decisions when you ask that question is gonna be neither, and that can be an honest and true question and you move right along. But the question needs to be asked. Will doing what I'm thinking about doing violate his call for us to be pilgrims, strangers, resident aliens, distinctly different from the other people of the earth? Now, you can take, take that so far that you can decide you need to be one of the Amish, but even then, I, I think that's the wrong answer. Uh, they, for some reason, their, their leaders made them think that God loved all advances in technology up until about 1840. That doesn't seem to make much sense to me. Uh, but again, I'm not anti-Amish. It's just I think we could probably make a different decision and be fine with it. But I need to be different than the world, but that doesn't... You know, some differences are just too easy do something weird with my hair and do different colors and paints on my face, that, that'd be different, yeah. But uh, why and how does that advance your cause, much less that of Jesus? So if everybody is running to watch this movie, that's always a caution to me to think, now, will me watching this, putting money into this, what are, what are the moral consequences? Sometimes you won't find any but it's important to stop and ask the question. And not even safety, <clears throat> especially with the younger and sometimes with the older. What kind of environment am I putting myself in? Uh, if, I, if there's a party going on and you're younger and so there are opportunities to, to do wrong at these, most people who are older and have parties don't have the opportunities or the energy to do anything wrong. But hey, variance occurred. Uh, what kind of environment is it? Who's in control of it? With my kids, I, I ceaselessly taught them, do not enter a room unless you know how you're going to get out of it and that you can get out of it when you choose to. Who controls the situation? When you're in the car with this person, who controls the situation? What will you do if somebody else starts making decisions for you and you need to draw a line and retreat? How do you do that? Make a plan. And there were people that heard us talk like this and thought, well, what kind of paranoid? It comes in handy far more times than you might think to have a plan. To this very day, and a lot of this, by the way, is because I'm also an introvert. But when people say, oh, you're going there, I'm going there, let's ride together. I rarely do that because I need to be able to say, no, I'm leaving now. I need to be able to go, that's enough. Even if it's a good thing. I and mean, I was at one of these welcome home tours in one place where they would have kept going for another three or four hours but I had already gone for most of the day, working here, working there, talking to other house churches, and then driven to this one. And I finally had to say, after about two and a half hours, I'm really weary. And they still had some more questions. And I, I said, I will come back and I'll answer your questions or I'll answer them via Zoom or email or uh, text, whatever you want. But tonight I need to go 
call my wife and rest. That, that probably surprised a couple of them that I would draw that line sharply when things were going well. But I knew my body was tired, I knew my mind was tired, and I knew that I needed to draw a line, even doing good. You need to stop sometimes. Read the book of Mark in particular, and just note the number of times Jesus was trying to get away from people. Mark really highlights it. Or where they come upon him, they find him after he hasn't been around for a while. It's all right to draw your line and say, I'm done, this'll do. Back in the old days in America, I'm told, I think I experienced it maybe once. They used to have gospel meetings or revivals or whatever they called them, where every night there'd be a preacher, usually from out of town, sometimes different preachers. And you had to go to church with all the other people that already believed everything the guy was gonna say. And you had to support that mission by going to all the, you know, going to the other church that does exactly what you do uh, to support their gospel meeting. And they would go for two weeks, I'm told. Two weeks, every night. You know something? Pre-communications, pre-big box stores, malls, and opportunities, pre-internet, maybe that made some sense. And maybe it did in a particular cultural milieu for a particular time. But I hear people lamenting, saying, I remember when we used to have gospel meetings for two weeks and people would come. The world's just gotten awful. Well, no, maybe it just changed and other options come about and this wasn't effective. Uh, I, I think you ought to give it a shot. What is the environment like and are you able to say, that's enough for me? I'm going to step away now. Now, if somebody asks you your reasons, you can tell them, but the point is you, you need your reasons and you need your lines. Think also, what kind of crowd am I in and what is it conducive for? This is why I don't go to political rallies. First of all, I'm not a very political person, although I know politics well and I keep up with it and I have definite pol political views that really don't make me feel at home in any political party I've ever seen. I am politically homeless, but I do have politics. But even if there's a rally for something that I care about, I'm not in charge of that group. I don't know how it's gonna go. I don't wanna get in the middle of something I can't get out of. So instead, I'm gonna find another way to support what I think is good and right. Make your own decision. Can you control the group? And can you control yourself? And you need to be very honest about that. If I'm in a group and they start being critical of uh, other people, Christians who have made decisions we would consider bad, theologically, morally, or the like, I need to remove myself from there because I grew up as a legalist, very, very much a legalist. And if I stay in that group, I'm going to start chiming in negative things. I know that about myself and I wish it was not true. And so what I do is I withdraw before I get started. Most of the time, I have failed in this a couple of times. If you are uh, tempted sexually, don't get in that group, don't go to that movie. If you are tempted with drugs, don't get in that group, don't go to that movie, whatever it is. Know what your avenues of attack are. When we moved up to Michigan from South Carolina, we just spent a short time in South Carolina. And right after 9-11, uh, we 
set up our plan to move up uh, just outside of Detroit in Rochester, Michigan, where we had just a delightful time for about 10 years. Um, one of the things we did, the, the day we moved into our house, it was a snowy day in January. Who, who knew that could happen in a Detroit area in January in Michigan? Anyway, uh, as the boxes are now complete and the, and the drivers are away, I took my son outside. It was dark and snowing lightly. And we looked at the house and I said, Duncan, it's our job today to find a way to break into this house. And we went about checking windows, any kind of egress possible. You know, can you climb up to an upper level? What's a, uh, the garage, the garage door, how is it? And we found an outer door that was a hollow core door. We found a garage that you could force the door up. And we went, let's fix it. And then I talked to him about, this is what we do, son. Every so often you have to stop and say, if I was the devil, how would I break into me? What would I use to tempt me? Find your sore spots, your weak spots, and fortify those areas. So what kind of, you know, can you control yourself? If you can't, then admit it and stay away from that area. Can you hear the word no? You're not really a grown-up until you can hear the word no and deal with it. And that you can even say it to yourself. I mean, I love cake, but I have to learn how to say no. Same with all of us about something. I don't want to do a part, uh, what, part four of this, so I'm going to finish this up in the next couple minutes. Just throwing questions at you. Are you looking for your limits? Are you looking for how far you can go and still be a Christian? I've even seen a bumper sticker back in the days when those were big deals that said, how much can I sin and still go to heaven? When I was a boy, the preachers preached against long hair. The hair was not allowed to touch your eyebrows, your ears, um, or, or, or your collar, or you were a hippie because Paul said, don't you know that it's a shame for man to have long hair? And you know, talk about scriptures out of con context and really not a good time to be preaching that in the 60s and early 70s, that's what they did. Even though I wasn't buying the argument, my father did, however, so our head, I, I didn't have hair long enough to part until I was in college. Um, even though I didn't buy the argument, I would hear the people around me go, but what's long? And I knew that was the wrong question. Because you're, that's asking how far can I go? Same with dates, you know, how far can I go? How far can I do this? How much? No, our question should be, where does God want me? And by the way, I don't think God's that concerned about your hairstyle. But just generally, don't look for the limit. Look for the optimum place. Is your Christianity limited to what's only necessary and nothing more? Then that, that's a problem. So are you disguising your Christianity? What, what are you putting in your mind? All of these things. Make your decisions. Think about it. You can make ethical and moral decisions, but you have to stop, think, be honest, and ask yourself a lot of questions first. I hope the last three Mondays have been helpful. We're gonna take on a new subject next week. God bless you. Have a wonderful, wonderful week.